0: Welcome to Sonosphere, the podcast that explores the sounds all around us, in art and music movements through history. Thanks for joining us. We're your hosts. I'm Amy.
1: And I'm Chris.
0: We are ending 2018 on a very inspiring note. We hosted our final sound observation series by inviting Nicole Mitchell to Memphis. She's a flutist and composer, and we were so excited to have her here perform. In this episode, as part one of our sound observation series, we present Afrofuturism, Building Communities, a panel that explored beyond the concept of Afrofuturism. Memphis-based publisher and author Cherie Renee Thomas led the discussion, featuring Nicole Mitchell and a few Memphians, including producer, performer, and CEO of Unapologetic, James Dukes, aka McMad Beats. We featured James and his Unapologetic crew in our last episode out now. Another Memphian on our panel is author publisher Troy Wiggins, and MC teacher and author Danian Jerry. They went beyond explaining Afrofuturism and talked about how Afrofuturism exists as much in the present as in the past and future. They also discussed how it can be used as a tool to help the community and build worlds that fit a black narrative. Stay tuned for our next episode featuring Nicole Mitchell's performance in Memphis at Crosstown Arts. Thank you for a wonderful year. Sit back and enjoy this wonderful conversation.
2: thank you all for coming out in the sleep <laughs> and the ice, hopefully not the snow. Um, it's been really beautiful um, this year being able to talk more about Afrofuturism um, as that, that, that little girl, you know, like some of you, um, I love science fiction for a long, long time, um, when it wasn't cool. So yes. now, <laughs> right? And I think all of my panelists here and our wonderful um, musician, Nicole Mitchell, can attest to that. Um, so this is just a great great time to be an Afrofuturist or however you want to claim that space is a great time to create art. Um, One of the beautiful quotes um, that Nicole Mitchell has shared with us and she is not only a gifted musician but also a gifted writer as well of course a community activist and a great mentor to many many musicians um, across the country. Um, She said this jazz is a globally is a globalized African-American freedom vehicle. A globalized African-American freedom vehicle. Can you tell us a little bit about what you meant when you said that?
3: I was asked to write a quote, and thank you, Sheree. (laughs) I'm really thrilled to be here in Memphis. My first time, y'all. I mean, I've been here, but I never played my music here. It'll be my first time. But I was asked to give a quote about jazz and how I defined it, and I feel that so many times its origins are overlooked, you know, where it really comes from. And yes, it is a global music. People play it all over the world. They've got jazz centers in Russia. They've got them in Japan and China, everywhere. But it's important that we know, that everyone understands, like, that this music was, it was... um, Actually, a realm that was created by African American people to have a space to determine what they want to do. You know, and like you, when you make the music, you have that freedom to make your choices and your decisions and do it the way you want to do it. When in the reality, the 3D reality, you don't have that. So the music was a space for that, you know, just as much, you know, in jazz and the blues and in church music, all of it. But But I think jazz now almost is seen as a foreign, like extraterrestrial (laughs) sometimes. Um, And for us to reclaim it and to, you know, keep with it and, and, and keep believing in it. And,
2: you know, that was part of my reason too for that. Wonderful, and I love your definition of jazz because you bring us back to this ideal that even though it was created a long time ago and it's still very relevant and being innovated today, it was a space for that creativity and a space of black agency. And for me, that's what Afrofuturism represents or black speculative arts or what have you. There are lots of real estate wars about what it should be called. But the art is what counts, and the process, and the communities that can be built out of it. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight, how Afrofuturism can help us revisit where we live today, how we live today, what those values are, and what we can imagine. Um, I would love for uh, James, uh, excuse me, I make bad, mad beats. We were talking about that. I was like, they should have put that in bold letters over everything. (laughs) Because I was like, who is this James Dukes? (laughs) and And Troy and Dany and to talk a little bit about afrofuturism and how it affects how it impacts your creation
4: um well I mean yeah, and i love I love how you said um before it was cool, yeah. <laughs> you know that's so true. um I grew up in Orange mound uh, primarily I took the Orange Mound bus to White station um every day, and um you know um I've always been a very imaginative person. My favorite thing to do as a kid, before I really got into music, was just lay on the couch and think. Um, <laughs> I still, all the time, my dad thought I was crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was all about drawing those things. You know, uh, Me and Danian, uh, one of the things I admire about Danian is you know, how he's creating you know, this comic book, and uh, as well as um, Quinn, another guy in the legendary group, Iron Mike. Um, because I grew up drawing and reading comic books as well. Um, Again, before it was cool, when you might get beat up on the bus for it. Uh, And um, you know, I I definitely use uh, my imagination to the fullest extent. See, one of the things that I I think, I thought I was a musician for a lot of years, then I realized I'm a creator. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point, you let, you hop out of the box, right? People tell you, you're this, you're this, you're this. And then at some point, you realize your true love is just imagining and then making it real, That's right. you know? And then you just, I get a rush off of like, to the point where the planning phase for me is almost, it sometimes doesn't exist, <laughs> um, even when it comes to music. Sometimes when I make music, I have an idea, and then I make it real. Other times, I just follow my skill set with the faith that it will deliver this music you know, without me having to think about it. And I've had success both ways. Um, And so when it comes to imagining the future, the current, et cetera, um, a lot of times it's, okay, let's think it out, let's plan it out, let's strategically go about doing it. And then other times it's just believing in yourself um, that you're a good person, you have a good heart, and uh, and you have some cool ideas. And then blinking and then realizing what you've created, what you've imagined. And... um, the coolest thing about that I find, and then I'm going to pass it to my man to the right, um, is that while the thing that takes that you may not plan, if you create it and do it before you give your chance, before you give yourself a chance to second guess your idea, you know what people appreciate in that the most is the sincerity in it, right? Because you didn't get a chance to to make it polished or to hide right that's that's you and your naked self in a creation, and people appreciate that
2: that is so true that authenticity, yeah, that's what we connect to, I think, as readers you know that's that's wonderful. thank you joy
1: sure. um before I start answering the question, I just want to express how excited I am to be on this panel with these brilliant people. um I've been following I make mad beats work for since I was in college following Iron Mike Coalition since I was in college. I read Cherie as a teenager. Um, I'm just introduced to your work, but I love it already. Uh, so to be up here with these brilliant people talking about the future and the potential that we have to shape our future is uh, very meaningful to me. So thank you all. Uh, thank the hosts and organizers for asking me to be on this panel. Uh, really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to tell a story similar to y'all. I grew up in North Memphis. Put your thumbs up. Um, in the hood... And I used imaginary work to escape the realities of that place. Um, not to say it was a completely bad place. There are some really amazing things that happen in the ghetto. There are also yes. struggles that are not completely our fault that happen in the ghetto, not, our, not of our design. And so I used fantasy, science fiction, comics, video games to escape that. Um, what I didn't realize is that I was practicing Afrofuturism back then because the thing I talked about the most was when I get up out of this ghetto, this is what my life is going to look like. And that's the potential of Afrofuturism for us as humans and for the communities that we inhabit, to envision that future, a future, several futures, because one, there we are not limited to one future. So to envision all of those futures and then, as James said, make them real. And so when I think about my work, my writing work, but also my community work, um, I think I come from it, from that perspective. What should our futures look like? What is a radically liberal... Lib- What does a radical and liberatory future look like for black people? What does a radical and liberatory future look like for black people in Memphis? And that's the work that Afrofuturism helps me to define for myself. And it guides the work that I do even in my day job, which has nothing to do with writing. So that's the potential I've seen, and that's how it guides my process. But you
2: are helping to build communities and help make them better in your day job. I hope. I hope. So I I think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you all right uh oh,
5: i too give thanks right i'm very thankful for the for being on this panel um i know Cherie, my man nemo troy right so we all like work together so it's like really good to um, be up here and like share ideas with them and you all as well right because many of us know each other here so this is like a meeting of the minds um i too right grew up in the hood right stealing comic books from my uncle you know because uh he didn't want me to read his comic books because he said I would tear them up so I had to go do like the uh the Prometheus I had to go steal him you know I had to steal the knowledge you know what I'm saying but like for me as far as like how it got my process well one like for me things that are like human qualities like hate, love, deceit, truth, lies, all those things are universal and those things are past, present and future. So like when I think about Afrofuturism, I really think about my community and I think about how I can shed light on what's going on in my community. How can I give voice to like the people who I grew up with, you know, because I grew up in Castelia Heights. So I grew up around drug dealers, crackheads, thieves, you know, whatever, you know. People who, people who want to share their stories, but they, you know, they don't always get the chance to. Um, A lot of times their stories get misappropriated, right? So for me, Afrofuturism, right, is a way for me to share my heritage, right? With the world, right, a way for me to give, like, like I said, voice to those, uh, those who don't have one. I will also say, like, as far as Afrofuturism and music, I too agree, right. When you hear rappers like come out and they come out talking about how much money they have and all their costs, a lot of times they don't. A lot of the times they don't have those things, right. Rapping about those things helps them actualize them, right? So they might not have that car, right? Once they talk about it and they picture it in their minds, they look up and they have it, right? This is true. Go back to the Sugar Hill game. Big Hank rapping about his Cadillac. He didn't have one, right? He was working in a pizza parlor, you know? So for me, right, Afrofuturism is a way for us to share the communities that we know, right, and also a way for us to build the realities that we seek, the realities that we really want to have. I'm going to say one more thing. As far as, like, music, like, <sighs> music has always been a vehicle, right, for us to, like, propel ourselves into the future. If you go back to the slave plantations, right, they weren't supposed to be there making the blues, you know. The, the, the slave master took the drum right the only thing they had was the guitar they start putting six seven strings on it. they make this music and they come up with this culture that's so great and it's so wonderful right the people who oppressed them paid them for it right jazz hip-hop same thing hip-hop brought technology right to the hood to people like me you know if you learn how to make music on a computer you're going to learn how to use a computer right So that's my little spiel on Afrofuturism, how it uh, affects my process.
2: Thank you, all right. When they said beautiful minds, they weren't playing, right? We have some beautiful minds on this stage. Um, it's, you all touched on a few things. One about the idea of Afrofuturism being a tool for us to, to a- analyze where we are right now and then make things real. Imagine it, our world better and to make it real in practical ways, you know, doing that. You also talked about it being this vehicle, you know, for um, moving us through challenges, moving us through obstacles and everything. Um, I like to say that the movie Black Panther... That came out did a lot of heavy lifting for us on this conversation about alpha-futurism. Before you would, you know, if you mentioned it, um, the term, of course, was coined in 1993 by Mark Derry, cultural critic. You know, um, he was observing something that was already happening decades before. I always like to emphasize that, that um, he just observed something uh, that was already happening in music. I think that was probably our most visual. Way, reference when you go from Sam Ra, or, um, I think of your work uh, most definitely as Afrofuturism for the 21st century. Um, we're looking at uh, Alice and John Coltrane. If you're looking at um, any of Pharaoh Sanders, um, even all the way up to P-Funk, George Clinton. Can't, you can't miss the P-Funk Nation. You know, Labelle, Labelle. Okay, let's talk about Labelle. Grace Jones. I mean, we could just go on and on from Erica Badu and Outkast. You know, the, the South has something to say. You know, all of that um, is Afrofuturism. But before, before the film, before everyone kind of had it in their back pocket and it's all shiny and everybody wants the bits of it, there was there were some writers who were kind of working quietly, you know, along the pioneers in science fiction. Samuel R. Delaney, who started as an 18-year-old, you know, unsolicited manuscript. They ended up taking over the the genre by storm, won all the top awards um, back then. And Octavia Butler, whose work eventually went out of print, and then went back in print, because black women scholars were teaching her work to new generations of creators. So I'm wondering, how does Octavia Butler's work end up inspiring an entire album by you? First, the novella. And then an album, we think of you as a musician, but you're you're like a Renaissance woman. you are a Renaissance woman. You have all these different skill sets. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and how you came to it? Yeah, what book it was?
3: <laughs> well, first, I was so inspired by you all sharing how you how Afro features the idea of it. It's just a way of moving forward using creativity and your imagination to manifest, like you were saying, and I definitely felt that way. My mom actually was a self-taught visual artist, so she didn't go to school for it, but she made paintings, so I grew up with like a landscape with three suns setting on it, or, <laughs> or black women holding children sitting on Saturn and things like this. <laughs> like This is the kind of imagination my mother had, and she had a really hard time trying to share her art. like People thought she was weird, and what are you doing? And you know, um, I actually grew up in Syracuse, New York, and then we moved to the suburbs in California, that's why I talk like this, to (laughs) Anaheim. (laughs) And so that area, there was definitely not a community that she could relate to, but she still just kept producing and kept producing, and she had Octavia Butler, on the shelf, and that was like her favorite writer, and she wrote her own science fiction novel, which I'm actually thinking about, this is the perfect time to release it. I've been holding it all these years. She died when I was a teenager, and my mother was a voice hearer, so I don't know how many of you look at it like that. You know, some people call it schizophrenia, but basically, the reality is that you're hearing voices and they have some kind of um impact on your life, and you have to interact with these voices and navigate what else is going on and so I think that had a lot to do with her creativity actually, and you know some people in other cultures might see that as something spiritual and powerful, whereas here we turn it into something that you need to take a lot of drugs to kind of push away, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm just starting to talk about this. I, you know, haven't talked about it in a long time. But I I mean, she had such an impact on me and developing my ideas and Octavia Butler being part of that. So it's something I kind of came up into, um, these ideas of using your imagination, like you said, to manifest your reality and, like, you know, being in a situation and finding your way out through writing, through journaling, and, like, visualizing what you want. And so that that was really how Octavia Butler became kind of important. And when my mother died, she she really actually was trying to write poetry and, get it published and all, got all these rejections and then she three days after she died there was like an acceptance letter in the mail that came, and they said oh we're sorry we're late but actually we are going to publish your poem and um so I really felt like I needed to continue her path as an artist and that's how I became an artist why I decided I wanted to be an artist and and then this science fiction thing. Like I met Octavia Butler in 2007 because I worked, I went to Third World Press. I actually moved to Chicago because that's where my mom grew up. I wanted to kind of be around that and because that's where I had the best time. That's that's how I stayed alive, was spending time on the south side of Chicago, away from Anaheim. <laughs> so, so coming to Chicago as a young adult and wanting to be kind of immersed in that and then I started working at Third Press. Oh, Hakimara. Yeah. Dr. Yeah, <laughs> <Doctor, laughs> Haki Books. Yeah. Um the longest running African American book publishing company in the country. Mm-hmm. So that was how I really came into literature and 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 a lot of learning about everything and He had a Black Writers Conference, that's where I met Octavia Butler, and I was like, I'm gonna do a piece for her. And I thought I was gonna get to collaborate with her because I met her and it was like, wow. If you ever meet her, her spirit is like, quiet brilliance, like just, yeah. Like you could almost feel like she was telepathic. Like her energy is like really powerful. And I I thought I was going to get to collaborate with her, but I made a proposal to write the piece, Xenogenesis, based off of Dawn, the first of the Xenogenesis trilogy. And the day I put the proposal in the mail, she died. So I was like, I need to do this. And that's kind of how that started. Yeah, yeah, I was a
2: one of her many students at Clarion West. So, yeah, oh, wow. she, yeah she was pretty formidable and amazing. Wow. A lot of good energy. Yeah, so that's...
3: that's oh, yeah. To yeah, yeah, I
2: mean, that's yeah, so. yeah. But um, so you all are talking about the creative process. We're talking about Memphis in particular. I know you want to hear more about what's happening in Memphis. What are you working on right now? Or have worked on that you feel like is part of that, you know, in that vein of Afrofuturism and helping, you know, give sight, give sound, give texture and 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 form to some of these ideals that we're talking about.
4: Um. Okay, just to be <laughs> transparent, I'm trying to figure out which thing to talk about. Oh wow. Um, okay, so. My name is I make mad beats. I run a label called Unapologetic. Um, Unapologetic is actually a five faceted company, it's not just a record label, right? So, of course, we put out music. Um, I've been licensing music to, you know, I I, I did music for a Burger King commercial 10 years ago, and I've been providing music for TV and stuff for 10 years. Um, So, we have that music part, we have the visual part. So, we do video for companies as well as ourselves, Uh, we do events for other companies, we do um, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so we provide many, many formats. Um, last year, I launched the Unapologetic World app, which is an app I created myself, and um, it there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff in there uh, that I have to choose what to talk about in it. Right. Um, <laughs> That's a great problem to have. But <laughs> I, I'll say this: you know, um, the bigger idea versus any specific thing that we're doing is that. My whole existence is about, um, you know, people say, be outside the box. Uh, I like to say, what box? <laughs> I, where? <laughs> you know, um, everything about unapologetic is about challenging what a black man from government housing is supposed to be. or Whatever you are is supposed to be. Um, you know, and using your imagination and trusting your imagination, trusting your, you know, I have two songwriters uh, who all they do is, you know, come in the studio and write songs and listen to something being made and try to write a song to it. And um, I tell them all the time, you know, the best thing you can do in terms of being a songwriter is to value your day-to-day ideas and experiences. What does that mean? That means that The best songs in the world are songs with ideas everybody's thought, but nobody valued enough to write it down and formulate it and make something out of it. If you do that, you'd be surprised how many people champion that idea and say, that's exactly how I felt. That's what I was going through. Um, And so when it comes to Afrofuturism, when it comes to being a black man, imagining things and making it happen, you know, I don't think that. I think what's valuable is already there. It just needs to be recognized. You just need to pull yourself out of society just long enough to where you don't judge it with society's colonized eyes. Mm -hmm. Right? And realize, you know, um, so every once in a while I'll do something and somebody will say, Man, you know, that's genius, or that was, you're a visionary for that. And I'll say, I know this is going to sound like I'm trying to be humble or modest, but here's just the truth. That's not genius. That's not visionary. All I did was never know where the box was. I, I exercise, making sure I don't recognize the box. And if I ever feel like I'm seeing the box, I cover my eyes.
1: That is what's up. <laughs> so, thinking about answering this question, I was cataloging like all the stories I've written in yeah. essays. Um, and I don't think any of them are as significant when we're thinking about Afrofuturism and we're thinking about uh, radical imagination, we're thinking about speculative arts, and we're thinking about community. I don't think any of my stories come close to achieving, in an Afrofuturistic sense, what Fire Magazine has done for um for the literary field for the field of science fiction and fantasy um and it touches on all of the kind of conceptual buckets that afrofuturism live, lives in so one of the big concepts in here in afrofuturism is time so i'll tell you all about fire magazine for those of you who don't know um it starts with the study in 2015 a magazine called fireside fiction did a study counting the number of black writers who were published in science fiction and fantasy magazines. There were about 2,500 stories published in the year 2015, and only about 200 of those were by black writers. Um, No, I'm wrong. Only about, I think it was less than, it was like 2%. So that's what, like 40, 40 or 50? 40 or 50 stories out of 2,000. So a group of my friends and I decided to start a magazine to solely publish black writers because the excuses from these magazines, these editors were, we don't know where black writers are, or black writers don't write science fiction and fantasy, obviously, because we don't publish them. And that was all bullshit.
4: Or black people aren't interested in those things. Yeah,
2: They have been saying that since 90s. I, right. mean, I mean, when I did Dark Matter, they said yeah. we didn't read or write science fiction, and I grew up just like you in a house full of it. So mm-hmm. it was like, hmm, this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. We're invisible in this genre. Yeah,
1: except yeah. we're not. We're here. Yeah. We've been writing it, right? Yeah. And so... What we did was we decided not to just throw any old thing out there, but we looked back into the past, right? Because Afrofuturism tells you, in order to determine the future, you have to know what happened before you got here. And so we looked that. back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so we looked back, and um, there was this magazine called Fire. Uh, and Fire was a production of the Nigarati Manor, which was a group of highly respected, talented artists during the Harlem Renaissance. They made one issue of Fire. And in this issue, they talked about things that black people, black writers and black people in general didn't want to talk about. They talked about sexuality. They talked about queerness. They talked about the realities of being a black person in America. This was not something that people were fucking with at that time. It was real. Things were really respectable. then. We we looked at that and we said in the 1920s, black people were doing brave work, deciding against the literary establishment to publish themselves and publish the stories that mattered to them. Why can't we do that now? So we started a magazine in 2016, and we are entering our third year. We've published over 50 black writers. We've published over 200,000 words of science fiction and fantasy literature. We pay these people, right? Every contributor is paid, and we, through fire, we formed a community of just black writers, not writers of color, not intersectional writers of all right, no, just black writers, And we do the damn thing. We do the work. And we've created what I think is a future for black writers in the field of science fiction and fantasy that existed in some forms. We're not the first magazine to ever do this. But we're doing it right now, and I think we're doing a really good job of it. Yeah. And so... (laughs) The World
2: Fantasy Convention agreed. Yeah, All the work published in the world (laughs) that this was deserving.
1: Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that recognition because... Um, we didn't know that this was gonna. We didn't know this was gonna last. We didn't know that anybody was gonna send us that work. We didn't know that we were gonna have the money to keep going. So there's a lot of things against us. We small. The whole staff is black, so you know what that means. Nobody wants to fund us. Nobody gives a crap about our work. Nobody thinks we're gonna succeed, but we're doing it. And we couldn't have imagined this future, and we don't know where we're going, but we're excited to go there. So I'm thinking of I'm thinking about a radical future and a future that does serve to free people and make people free and help people understand what freedom is, I think our magazine is doing that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Woo. And you built that in Memphis.
1: And we published you, <laughs> yeah. one of my heroes. So, shit, I'm good. All right. That's what's <laughs> <laughs> up.
5: Um, I think as far as, like, projects I'm working on, I know um the projects I'm working on uh, with my man, Mighty Quinn, McGowan, Our Son of the Iron Mike Project. That's like, that's got my most attention. I mean, that's what I'm putting all my heart into. I mean, I work on it every day or whatever. But like, it's basically my life's work, right? You know, because I, I, as I've already said, I grew up in the comics and fantasy, right? But then as I got older, I like, started to let those things go, like getting into music more. and But getting into music led me back into it, Right. So just like, especially being an MC, you know, battling, um, writing these verses right there, you know, to try to mess with the other person's head or, you know, telling stories in a way that's very creative or whatnot. Basically, I wanted to take the two things I love the most and make one thing. Kinda like when I first thought about it, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking hip hop, I was thinking Star Wars, and I was thinking Hobbits. So I was thinking like this, like epic, urban fantasy you know so because like i had never seen anything like that like you know and when i i have students who are interested in you know nights you know um interested in spaceships right interested in fantasy right but they don't have materials that they can read that reflect their communities. For me, it's not necessarily about, you know, race or anything. It's more about culture. It's more about, you know, um, coming up with something that that considers fantasy through a very urban lens, right? A modern urban lens, right? And also setting the story in Memphis. You know, um, Memphis is like the birthplace of, some would argue and say, if it's not the birthplace of uh, contemporary music in America, it's it's one of those fostering, it's one of those spawning grounds, right? It came through here, right? So writing that story and sort of starting it in Memphis, I think that makes it original as well. Um, Yeah. So for me, that's pretty much it, that story. What's the name I, of it? son of the iron Mike I work on it every day um it's a lot of influence I mean hip hop science fiction but also the idea of you know a boy you know who is abused right but abused in a futuristic setting all I did was take like all I did was take hip hop I took music and I just actualized it right so what is the things that people say right they actually come to pass right what if when they say pain is blood and you're in the studio right what if somebody is what if it's more of a torture thing when you have to rhyme right it's not a good thing what happens when people rap what happens when people use music to make it through the day instead of just making money right we do that now right but what but I just like took it and made it like Actuality instead of like a fig- a figurative thing, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. So that's pretty much yeah, I would say yeah. All right. all so, right. It's dope too. I read some of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, amazing. it's amazing.
2: We're gonna say strength to all of you all's writing hands. Strength to the hand, so that you can get that work out to us as soon as possible. Um, I guess my last question I want to ask. We talked a bit about you know what Future is, Af- Afrofuturism is, and what it can possibly do. For us, why it's important, how it um, formed us or shaped us a bit, but I'm wondering what, and this is great from your your comment about building things, um, about Memphis and its contributions to American culture that are oft, that is often promoted. Commodified It's the face of the city. We're going to be 200 years next year, but the people who created the art don't often benefit from it um, and Let's go something that we you know, I, I, am, am I right? Am I, am I, let's go. Do you hear facts in that? There's facts in that. So um, Big facts. So I'm wondering what resources and institutions Do we need to invest in or build now to help build that future that we are? trying to create. I know that you your mother was an institution builder I I went to the community center in Syracuse. It's beautiful Um, Arthur Flowers, one of my my mentors, had a a huge hoodoo symposium up there (laughs) and it was just a great space and I know you are an institution builder so what kinds of things should we be thinking about and creating um... Sounds like y'all doing it All of us I think have
3: things that we have something burning inside. I think everybody in here has something that's burning inside that they want to do and a lot of times we don't make the time for that. I think when we start speaking about those things and sharing those ideas and and getting together with other people that have a, maybe a common vision. I mean, I'm very inspired by the ACM. Clearly I'm that's kind of my platform that I came from, which was the Southside collective of musicians that said forget this box basically <laughs> like what you're saying like and and said like let's do something else this is what I hear this is what I hear and everybody in there had a different idea of what they wanted to do but they all decided to support each other in that diversity of ideas and just expressing black diversity of creativity and just you know I think all of us have something like that that we're carrying and and how can we come together and just start manifesting those things and not put them to the side because I mean it's a lot I mean I just I would love to ask you all how you even how do you you know a lot of times it's a coexistence of survival and creating so like how how to navigate that like because Because for a lot of other people, they've got those creative ideas, but they can't figure out how to make the time and energy to manifest those things and to start on them or to have the confidence, like to say, you know, like you said, acknowledging like this is real. This I can be apologetic about this. I can accept this is something that has you know I have something to offer with this. I need to believe in it and and move forward with it. But you all are all doing that and. Like, what I'm going to do on this next show? Like, I totally have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) But that's part of my thing is I love challenge and I love uncomfortability. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, uncomfortability is a space where we have growth, but we're always trying to run away from it versus just facing it. And then when we face it, that's facing the unknown and that's the edge of beauty and that's, like, the rich, like, deep stuff. That's that sincerity. Yeah. You just yeah
2: and people connect to that yeah they know what
3: that feels like but I think the more we can connect like this and and share I mean there might be ideas out there people have that they haven't seen manifest yet from anyone else, maybe it's up to you to do what that thing is, you know, but if we have more institutions that support that creativity and instead of saying no, it has to be like this. And I was reading a book, I don't know, are y'all familiar with More Mother? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. yes. so I was, yeah, yeah, I was reading that Black Quantum Futurism yeah. book, yes. like she yeah. was talking about time, I mean, that book they had, a, like, it was an anthology, and it was talking about time. I. It never occurred to me how, I mean, yes, we are, at this idea of control and dealing with this kind of controlled, West, I think a lot about Western thinking and how, how it just like, pushes us into these spaces like that are unnatural and anti-intuitive to our natural selves but I didn't think about how the clock like we're literally like robots ticking through each minute oh my god like that was a real realization to me to, to realize like if w- macro idea of time like okay it's morning you know not like no it's 805 and you have <laughs> to be somewhere at 810 you know like yeah. that's a lot that we go through <laughs> you it's know so and then trying to be creative with all that like you have to throw that out the window
2: throw the clock out the window for real but anyway i'm just oh, that's, that's right. what came so. she was talking about the afrofuturist affair which is Rashida Phillips and More Mother, out of Philadelphia. You can um, check them out. They are musicians, um, writers, and also by day. I think they're like superheroes, um, uh, activists, um, as in um, um, home safety. They help people who are being evicted, in um, you know emergency situations. They've changed the laws in um, Philadelphia to help protect people. Like they are serious about actualizing Afrofuturism. So that's another great group to look at as well for models, you know? yeah. yeah. And then this is the idea about collective. Like you were saying, like how do we maintain your creative process and survive? I always said that I, I want my Afrofuturism to be more than just black, half-healthy, whole, loving people. Creating their art and building their community, and taking part—you know, being part of the world instead of just being exploited by the world. Um, you know, living in—you know, living into the future, not just surviving to the end of the movie, but thriving. You know, and once you can thrive, that's a whole nother level of existence. You know, and I, and that is so important to me. For here in Memphis, we are so proud of grit and grind and hustle, and and never really thinking about why you got to be gritting and grinding. <laughs>
4: Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. go. Why
2: are we celebrating these institutional, you know, discrepancies that make us have to scuffle to do basic stuff? Why are we celebrating that? Do you hear me? I'm trying to come, girl. I'm trying. come through that's what my afrofuturism is so anything any collective because you, you you start alone like you say you have that belief in that ideal and then you think like uh tony morrison said if you have ideal you know something you want in the world then build it create it write that book then you build a con- legends press sons of iron mike unapologetic fire you know um, black Speculative Arts Movement, the Black Earth Ensemble, you build a community of like-minded people to help you bounce ideas off each other, share resources, you know, get up when you fall down, you know, do it together, you know, it's community. Yeah. Any last thoughts on that before we get down and listen to this beautiful music?
4: I am extremely passionate about that topic. Uh, I am actively trying to calm myself down <laughs> to deliver these next few sentences um, so the The majority of this year uh, i've been going about uh, talking to investors right and um, in organizations i work I work closely with epicenter for the last three or four months now um trying to build unapologetic world in Orange Mound, right? Now, unapologetic world is one part of a bigger idea, right? The bigger idea is this, essentially this area of Memphis where black, forward-thinking, innovative, and daring businesses all come together in this one space, right, um, to uh, to share energy, uh, to create that kind of energy, um, but most importantly, um, create a space in a black neighborhood where black people can benefit from their brilliance, imagination, hard work, and dedication. My, my team and I have played on almost every major stage in this city. Only one of them was owned by a black man. As a musician, that points out the obvious discrepancy, being that this place is almost 70% black. Now let's take it national to global. Memphis exports the greatest musicians of all time to go and help other communities get built, get visibility, um, get notoriety. As soon as you go into the band and ask anybody, you will find somebody from Memphis. Every time. One of my one of my best friends is a guy named Mono Neon. You talk about Afrofuturism? <laughs> let me, hold on Say, let me calm down.
2: All
4: right. You know, he's a guy who, one of the key reasons why and I'm, this is the first time I'm saying this out loud in a, in a, in a forum, one, one, one of the few reasons why he's still attached to the place where he's from, which is Orange Mound, Memphis, Tennessee, right, is this idea of creating a space where not only can the safe, quote unquote, safe version of black people live and thrive, but the daring, innovative, brilliant versions of us can thrive as well. And I look at that even in terms of our music, right? So there is there's the black music that makes white people happy and feel safe. Then there's the black music that scares them, because we speak so freely that it makes them uncomfortable. Right? Now, rap is the most consumed music on the planet. There's no music, rap is more popular than pop. Right? The biggest, or the thing that's put us on the billboard and in visibility uh, more than anything else uh, in the past 25 years, consistently from Memphis, is rap. Right? What was the biggest thing to come out of Memphis in the last two decades on film that had anything to do with Memphis? Man, what was that movie about? Rappers. Okay. Well, let me ask you guys this. What proportionally accurate initiative, place, idea, or brand adoption accurately represents clearly what is the biggest and most important music to come out of Memphis in the last 20 years? Here. So a couple of, a couple of months ago, um, a woman named Samantha Crespo interviewed me for Memphis Tourism. She said, "James, we like what you're doing in the hip-hop community. If people are traveling to Memphis to witness and see what's happening here in terms of hip-hop, uh, where do they go?" I said, "My house." It uh, doesn't exist." And I and I, I, use rap on, I use rap as an example. Rap is just an example of it's not safe. It's not cozy, it's not comfortable. You know It's something that's daring. Like Prince, like Mono Neon. it's something new, right? Um, I think the best thing that can happen is not for these spaces and these identities to be adopted here in Memphis, but for them to be in our neighborhoods. I think that's where it starts, you know I think with all due respect to some of the great companies and buildings and places in Memphis. Um, nothing is going to help a kid like me growing up in Orange Mound as much as me seeing it in Orange Mound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? If I got to go to a k- part of town with people who don't look like me, I'm going to stop there. I think I remain calm. You got to stop.
1: <laughs>
4: starting to shake, man. <laughs>
1: Uh say so it man, you got the space. Um uh, I wanna thank both of y'all actually for um for one for this question because it's something I wrestle with every day. But also, Nicole, specifically for you to bring up some of the metaphysics of Afrofuturism, which I think uh gets lost in some of our conversations about Afrofuturism, some of the, the the consuming that we do because mostly we talk about the aesthetics, right? We talk about the art, the music, the fashion, all that stuff. But what what interests me Uh, specifically the metaphysics of Afrofuturism, dealing with time, right, and how that's constructed to control us by people who don't have our best interests at heart. Think about space. Nikki, Nikki Giovanni said last year, black people started in Africa, ended up in America, and the whole journey was lost, right? They didn't see a lot of that. They were in a dark place. From one place to another place, they lost a lot of their identity they were stripped of their culture when they got here, you know. So, the Middle Passage as a wormhole, right, from Africa to the New World, right? And like you hear, you hear people, you hear Afrofuturists talk about like space, like what the fuck are they talking about? That don't make sense. But think about the Middle Passage, right? Mm-hmm. Think about these things that have dominion over our everyday life, especially our everyday life as black people. Um, and so I wrestle with that question because Memphis needs Afrofuturism. Yes. Um, and I don't think we know that yet. But our city is at a crossroads.
4: We're a majority black city. Can I, can I respond to that? Yeah. I think the city needs to be aware it's already here. like. You know, I think it's, I think it's not, I think it just simply needs to recognize that it's already, I think it needs to recognize that people like me and you are more not, are more so not an anomaly than one would think, you
1: know? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that 100%, 100%. Yeah, Uh, so definitely that, and definitely thinking about even the work you're doing, right, so you decided To reclaim, well, not reclaim, but you decided to set up shop in a in the (laughs) first black neighborhood (laughs) settlement in the entire country, right? Um, And actualize your economic vision, your creative vision for that, right? That's that's taking over space. That's colon. That's That's reverse colonization, right? That's the shit the board was doing in Starship. Like, (laughs) we gonna take this for us. So. our city is at a crossroads right now. Um, I work in the community. Uh, my day job, when I'm not writing, is working directly with community organizations, nonprofit organizations, So, and I spent a lot of time, before I got into this position, on the front lines with people who desperately needed social services and uh, assistance just to, just to live their lives, right? Just basic stuff, food and housing, stuff like that. Um, and our city needs the liberatory paradigm, the 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 unshackling of the mind, the Afrofuturism can do for you, because it really can. Um, we our city does not reckon with our past mm-hmm. in, in any meaningful way. We just had a uh, the MLK 50 celebration, right right she, she scoffed <laughs> right? And how many of us feel like we accurately dealt with what Dr. King was talking about 50 years ago as a city? We're not dealing with our past. We're not looking at our past and learning the lessons that the past was supposed to teach us. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we just now, our city just now determined a collective political and developmental strategy for our future. We just, with Memphis 3.0, we just decided we want to know what this, what this city's going to look like. So we haven't been thinking about our future as a city. None of our leaders, none of these businesses, right? This is Afrofuturism, y'all. This is it in practice. And so I appreciate y'all lifting up uh, Black Quantum Futurism and Afrofuturist Affair because they are bringing the people in Philly into these spaces, into these institutions and saying, hey, you know, time, that thing that runs your life, is bullshit. Somebody made that to control you. The idea of space, your home, right? You don't have to take what these people are doing, for, doing to you, taking your space and claiming ownership over some shit that's not there that you paid for, that you put your money into you know, you don't have to. You don't have to sit by while developers eat up your neighborhood. You know, that's revolutionary work. That's liberatory work. Memphis deserves an institution like that. Memphis deserves an institution, even if it doesn't talk about the wonky shit, those wonky parts of Afrofuturism. Like, oh, the middle passage is a wormhole, right? That's people might not. They might not like that. <laughs> they might not grasp that. Yeah, yeah. But yo, you don't have to sit around in Orange Mound and watch developers buy up those old houses, miss so-and-so house, mister so-and-so house, past the so-and-so house, and flip it so some college students come over there and live live in, live in the neighborhood and fuck it up for everybody, right? You don't have to sit by and watch that. Afrofuturism says you can take that space and reclaim it for yourself. You don't have to let these things happen. And so we need an institution like the Afrofuturist Affair, like Black Quantum Futurism, to help people understand, help people. You need, a, not, you need an
4: investment in that.
1: I don't think I don't think that's necessarily the case, because the investment
4: comes with strings. Okay, so let me ask well okay, true. Well, that's a whole other conversation. So okay, I, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine yesterday. And I was thinking about, I was listening to this this verse from Jay-Z, and I was listening, I was thinking about like the admiration for Jay-Z, your master P, your uh et cetera, et cetera. Those people who came into the game, took over the game, reclaimed part of the game, creating black owned distribution, black owned this you know, et cetera, et cetera. But what they have to do in the beginning, these guys are our examples, right? Mm-hmm. OK, so how'd they get that initial seed money? How do you get that 80K to drop on Russell Simmons' desk and say, hey, I need distribution? Mm-hmm. Do you think he could have went to an investment fund and gotten that money? I've seen people here take investments and, and get grants and stuff for doing stuff that make absolutely no money, and they're just they're just doing stuff, mm-hmm. yet, I can come up or Jay-Z can come up with or any one of us can come up with the most obvious idea to feed what is 70% of the people here and you feel like you're fighting Mike Tyson to get somebody to even listen to you. And so it's, when I see Jay, when I see Master P, when I see those guys, I see guys who said, they don't have no choice. And that's the sad part about it, is that what does it take to do it the right way to not have to hurt my community to eventually help it. Somebody got to invest in that. Yes. You can defy time and faith. Why you can't defy money? I'm sorry. Say it that again.
1: You can defy time and space. Why y'all can't deal with money? Why is money a limitation for us? If so we can defy time and faith. I don't think money is a limitation. I just think the people. So to, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go down this path. If, I, I'm excited to talk about this with this brother. This brother's a genius, so I'm not going to take up the panel's time and uh, Nicole's time from her performance to have to go deep into this conversation. I do believe that investment is necessary. I think that to, the traditional modes of investment and the traditional people who make investment possible sure. are the problem.
2: Yeah, it's yep. a, psychology. I, it's think a that, psychology. I think
1: that you have to get the people invested first. Before the money can, but even as you are working on the money, you have to get the people invested. And right now, people, the people are not invested. We are not completely invested. We need to work on that. Not only that,
2: that, but also it's an ideal of, like, we're assuming, like, for you to prosper in Orange Mountain is a good thing. Not everybody agrees with that. Mm-hmm. it's a zero-sum game for some people out here. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it wasn't, Memphis would have surpassed Atlanta decades ago. A long time
4: ago. Time. Am I right?
2: Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's about what you value as a community, who you consider part of the community, who's exposable, who's disposable. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Who's allowed to thrive and prosper. Now, if we don't agree that the 70% is as valuable as the 30%, then guess what they're going to Dis- disinvest from everything that you're trying to do, mm-hmm. or they're going to put your institution in the Gorange Mouth but make it so that you can't afford to be there anymore.
1: That's some strings, that, and that happens every know. day.
4: So, we, so that's a psychology issue. Yeah. As
2: Memphis has a s- self-esteem issue, yeah. Memphis has a history truth-telling issue, mm-hmm. and we have a mm-hmm. an issue about sharing what it means to be human and thriving and taking care of each other. Once we decide we want to take care of each other, we're going to make it.
1: We're that's to, we're, we're that's be the there. investment.
2: That's what, you know, That's
1: the investment.
2: But we have to decide that. All of us, the 100%, mm-hmm. together. 100%. Right. Nicole? Yeah. Damien?
5: Uh, yeah, I got a final thought. Um, <laughs> we went I on, got, sorry, I got a final um <laughs> Just a couple of... You know, we need Unapologetic, we need Fire, right? Um, We need my man, um, Quinn McGowan, his company, uh, Legends Press, and also his group, Operative.net, which is like, it's a collective for African American uh, comic creators, right? So we also need places like the Africa Place, right? We need places like Cultural Connection. Um, We need places that deal with children, Like small kids. I'm a teacher, right, myself, and I work with like primarily literacy, teaching kids how to read that don't know how um, because being in school is tough especially y'all know like standardized testing working with materials that like it's not that they can't understand the materials but sometimes the materials ask them questions that don't relate to them culturally you know they don't have any really frame of reference right so for me right we need to invest in the organizations that are dealing with children but We need to take it upon ourselves right to educate our children we need to take it upon ourselves to share our afro futurism our speculative fiction with these children because they want it and they don't know how to get it i mean me i grew up i love stephen king and i remember when someone first gave me an octavia butler book right they were like well if you love stephen king you're gonna love this Right So for me, that's where it is, especially when we say afro-futurism, right? We have to like bring up these young gods and goddesses, you know to show them the way, but educate them, right? Meet them where they are, show them that they're community, and show them that they're beautiful, right? You know, through art, for, with me, it's through art, right: Can
2: you tell us a little bit about what you're going to what are you gonna do tonight? <laughs> just before, just a little bit. I thought you're gonna improvise a little bit. Yeah.
3: I got some gadgets up here that I'm play around with and play my flute, and definitely be fed by this conversation into whatever happens in that moment with you all, and we'll see what happens.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for coming to Memphis. We needed you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: This has been an independent production, produced by Amy S. and Chris Williams. Sound engineered by Luis Vansatius.
1: Check us out at
4: sonospherepodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes and check us out on SoundCloud.
0: Thanks for listening.